ago, a guy named Aaron Smith was tired of like the typical online dating scene. Uh, he had tried Match.com, eHarmony, you know, all the biggies, and he wasn't having much luck getting uh, women to select him for dates on those apps. Well, he, he assumed the problem was that most dating app algorithms were just not putting his picture and his profile up in front of, of women. It's why no one ever chose him. And so he decided to take a unique course of action Aaron reached out to a software engineering friend who, who helped him develop his own dating app, a new app called Singularity. Singularity, its tagline, online dating simplified. And Aaron made a very clever choice. He would be the only guy on the app. <laughs> its most important feature, there would be no other male competition. When women would see his profile, his picture, and if they would swipe for other options, instead, they would just get a variety of, of different pictures of Aaron in different outfits, different locations. Pretty brilliant. Now, Aaron was interviewed by People Magazine, and he told the reporter his philosophy. Take a look at this. I love this. He said, if life gives you lemons, you should first make lemonade. And then you should make sure no other companies can produce or distribute their own soft drinks. So the only game in town is lemonade. It just shows how far someone will go to eliminate the competition, right? As you know, sometimes people can get crazy competitive. And while that is probably okay in dating apps, and it's probably okay with your family when you're playing games between Christmas and New Year's, and it's probably okay for Clay Thompson tonight, right? Very excited about him coming back. Sometimes that competitive part of us can show itself in some not-so-healthy ways, uh, e even in the best of us. Robert Cringley, in his book, Accidental, Accidental Empires, tells the story of Apple. Um, this is actually Apple's first logo back in 1976. Well, in the late 70s, Apple's staff had grown to the size that all of their employees no longer knew each other on site when they'd see each other. So it was decided that like grown-up companies do, they should all have name badges. And it was decided that these badges should be numbered and that your number should be based on the order in which you join the company. Okay, Cringely writes this. Steve Wozniak was declared employee number one. Steve Jobs was number two and so on. But Jobs didn't want to be number two. He didn't want to be second in anything. Jobs argued that he, rather than Waz, should have the sacred number one since they were co-founders of the company and J came before W in the alphabet. When he didn't get his way, unwilling to be number two, he came up with a plan. Since zero came before one, Jobs would be happy to take that number. He was number zero, he won. And, and I think that that speaks to a tendency in each of us to sometimes look at the people around us and see them as competition rather than as teammates, rather than as support. Now, of course, we do this in our places of work and we do this with our friends, but we even do this with our spouses or our partners. Sometimes if you look closely, you'll notice you're even doing this with your own parents or with your kids. We turn conversations or disagreements or, or even just life alongside each other, who's going to get their way on something, into a competition. Let me ask, do you ever find yourself secretly happy when somebody that you work with fails at something? It's probably because whether you know it or not, you have been in a competition. 
Or, or, or maybe they don't fail at something. It's the opposite. You get angry when that person is recognized for having done something well. You're angry because you've been in a competition. You ever find yourself in conversations with a friend where they tell you about something like that they did for Christmas or they're going to do on summer vacation, and you feel a need to one-up them with a story of your own competition? You ever find yourself beginning to doubt your abilities when you see a certain other person succeed with their own? You get down on yourself just because somebody else is doing well. You know why? It's because you feel like you're losing the competition. Do you find that in your marriage, you keep score on everything from who, who took the, the, the children to soccer practice more last month to who makes more money? Do you find that your significant other belittles your successes, acting like they're not a big deal? Any of those are signs that you are in a competition. Um, I'll tell you for me, I have moments where I'll get into a disagreement with someone here at work. Let's just say that that person is our associate pastor, Jody, who you saw up here a few minutes ago. And let's just say, hypothetical, last week for the first time in the 35-year history of Crosswinds, we took communion. And the person up here leading communion could not open their communion cup to be able to lead everyone else in drinking the juice. This is all hypothetical. But imagine, imagine on Monday morning I say to myself, who ordered these cups? Jody Tay. And so I call her into my office and I say, Jody, I think we need to start buying communion cups that like when we try to open them, they actually open all the way. And imagine that she argues back, I disagree. I think these are the best cups on the market and I refuse to back down. These are the cups for crosswinds. <laughs> I would leave that conversation not thinking she's my friend, she's my teammate who I've worked with for 13 years. She's one of the most reliable people I know. No, I would leave the conversation thinking, what are we gonna do about the Jody problem? <laughs> She's an obstacle. And that is what we're talking about today. Not Jody, but when we get to a place in our relationships, when we get to a place in our relationships that we start viewing other people as obstacles. Now, real quick, Jody is the opposite of an obstacle. Uh, she was the first person to say, we are not ordering those cups anymore for communion. But I, I, I make up that story because as I tell it to you, you can think of somebody who's been an obstacle to you, right? At work or at school or, or some other organization you're part of out there, a team you're on, maybe even in your own family. And as much as that might seem to indicate that you're in a fight with somebody or you've got tension with somebody who's out there, what it really points to is a fight going on inside of you. You versus you. And what it points to is a lie that you've been listening to and falling for, a lie about yourself, and in this case about others, that I believe you can exchange for a much better truth that God has for you. If you weren't here last week, I, I set up that we're going to be doing this series, You Versus You, and talking about these lies that we fall for that trick us into having this fight within ourselves. And here is the lie today that we're going to look at that other people are obstacles and impediments to me getting what I want. Let me just say that again. There is a fight in you between a lie and the truth. And the lie is other people are obstacles and impediments to me getting what I want. And, and I want to give you a closer look at this lie and then the truth 
both of which appear in an interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. We find it in Matthew 18. This doesn't need much setup. Let me just read it to you. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And right there, what the disciples are asking is, which one of us would you say will have the greatest leadership position? Which one of us will be held in the highest esteem? The disciples are trying to figure out where they rank. Will the greatest be Peter, since he seems to always be in the middle of things? But then again, Peter seems to get into the most trouble with Jesus. Uh, maybe it's not Peter. Will it be James or John? They seem to be closer to Jesus. They get invited to the things the rest of us don't. Will it be Matthew, who seems to have left the most to follow Jesus? Will it be one of the guys who's older? Maybe age will play into this. Will it be one of the many women who are following Jesus? Will it be Judas? Jesus trusts him with the money. Can't go wrong picking that guy to be the greatest. <laughs> the disciples are aware that a time is coming where Jesus' kingdom is going to be established. And while they don't know that the kingdom is going to involve uh, suffering and, and death and then his resurrection, they know that it's in the not-too-distant future, and they want to know, who do I have to beat to become greatest? Who is my obstacle? Which one of these other guys is in the way? Now, I told you that this kind of thinking is just part of our, our human nature, right? competition. And maybe you think I am overstating this and that surely the disciples with a leader like Jesus, they were a healthy work environment with great corporate culture where everybody's supportive and nobody sees their teammates as competition. Maybe you think I'm just pulling this one verse and I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. Oh yeah? Check this out. You've seen Matthew 18.1. Take a look at how Luke tells the story. Luke 9.46. He says it too. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. And then later in Luke, Luke 22.24, a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. And if that isn't enough, look at Mark 9.34. He tells the story of the first time they kept quiet because on the way they argued with one another about who was going to be the greatest. Talk about a toxic work environment. They are constantly arguing and trying to see where they rank. And the reason is they see each other as obstacles. They may be friends. They may even love each other, but they see each other as obstacles. They have fallen for the lie that other people are obstacles and impediments to me getting what I want. I gave you some things before so you could know whether you do this with people, this competition thing, like being happy when somebody fails, getting angry at somebody else's successes, one-upping, keeping score. But let me give you one more way to know you're in a competition, all right? It's when you think that other people are either with me or against me. Have you heard that before, that phrase? Maybe you've even said that. Last week, I, I mentioned a book that I read this past summer, uh, 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, and it talks about this whole with me or against me concept, and, and it explains your brain is hardwired to think with me or against me in your approach to life. Because one of the first things that we all learn to do is organize. We ask kids to sort blocks, and we see if they put the red ones over here and if they can put the blue ones over here. Or, or we ask them to separate shapes. Can they tell the squares from the circles? And, and that has become an important way that you process information. Sorting, categorizing has become an important part of your life. So you do it with people. 
these people, that person, that person right there I work with, that person I live with, they are either for me or against me. They are better than me or they are less than me. And while categorizing and sorting got you where you are, it becomes a disservice to you when you use it to categorize the people around you as obstacles. You categorize their actions. And, and do you know why it's a disservice? Because it requires a ton of energy to constantly prove that you are better than someone else. And it's equally hard to keep those you think of as less than below you. Thinking that your coworkers or your teammates or your friends or your family are trying to beat you or win against you, that is a really wearying way to live. Now, the disciples had this conversation with each other many times, but this seems to be the first time that they're bringing it to Jesus. Jesus, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus finally decides to like nip this argument in the bud. Take a look at verse 2. He called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Okay, somehow there is a kid standing around. And Jesus asks this child to come over, and Jesus positions him right in the middle of the group, and he says, you all are not even going to be a part of the kingdom unless you become like this. Whoever takes the position of a child, becomes like a child, will be greatest. Now, you may have heard this story before. And if you have, and if you've heard somebody teach on it, maybe even me, you've probably understood these words of Jesus right here to mean that we have to lower ourselves, that we have to put other people first, that that's what Jesus is saying. Maybe you've heard that children in their world were not held in very high esteem. That's true. People did not live for their kids the way that we do today. Um, we have mostly heard that this means disciples, make yourselves lower, put each other first. But can I suggest to you that there is more going on here than that? Could it be that little kids, and I mean the littlest of kids, they don't view other people as obstacles and impediments, but little kids see every adult as an ally. There is something about little kids in, and I don't mean seven-year-olds or eight-year-olds, by then the world is hard in view. <laughs> Eight-year-olds are jaded and just waiting for their pension to kick in. No, there's, there is something about toddlers, preschoolers, where you think that every adult you run across is your friend, and they're there to help you get what you want. Um, you ever notice that four-year-olds, five-year-olds, like, hug everyone? Um, I, I know there are some shyer kids that might be outliers, but, like, Kennedy, our youngest, when she was a preschooler, everybody we would meet, and we would tell her, oh, go say hi to so-and-so, she was like, Okay, I guess the way I say hi is to hug them. It's like they assume that everyone is family. Everybody they run across is a hugger. Uh, or you'll be at a restaurant, and you will be seated next to a table with a toddler in a high chair, right? And that toddler will drop their toy, uh, their teething ring, whatever it is, they'll drop it on the floor, and their parents won't notice that they've dropped it, but the child will look at you, total stranger, and they will go, ah, like that, right? They just assume that you are there to help them. Um, 
But that goes away, doesn't it? That understanding, that way of thinking goes away as you get older. Uh, perfect example of this, birthdays. As adults, most of us tend to think, I, I, don't, I don't need you to make a big deal out of my birthday. I'm, I'm one of those people, just like, not a big deal to me. Uh, and it's not because I don't like getting older. It's because it's I don't like people making a fuss over me. Um, any of you relate to that? Does that resonate with you? I just feel awkward that people would make a big deal out of me. Okay, when we were kids, not just on our birthdays, but every day, we assumed the whole world existed to make a fuss over us. I'm not sure who that is. Uh, that baby birthday is a little bit over the top, but, but a normal baby, everyone you meet was put here on this earth to make a fuss over you, right? And may, maybe you've never thought of this, but, but could it be that Jesus says to these disciples, these super competitive disciples who want to beat each other for the title of greatest, become like a child. Every person you meet Every circumstance you find yourself in, they exist to help you learn the most important things for your growth. If the lie is that other people are obstacles and impediments to me getting what I want, then the truth is everyone I meet is an ally in my journey to learn and to grow. Do we have that? Yeah. Everyone I meet is an ally for me to learn and grow. Other people are not competitions to be won or obstacles to be overcome, but every single person, even the ones that I find most challenging, every person is an ally to make me better. Now, some of you are going, wait, 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 wait. That's just not true. That's not real life. Because in real life, we have people who are obstacles that like exist to be an obstacle to challenge us. Just look at Congress. It's a bunch of people acting as obstacles to each other. And in life, we have competition. And not everybody can be an ally. Not everyone is on my team. Somebody is against me. Yes. Okay. Let's recognize challenge is real. You're going to run into challenges from people. They will challenge your ideas, your way of thinking, your patience, your everything. And let's recognize that competition is real. And, and more than real, it's good, right? Competition can be healthy. But here's the deal. Competition is only healthy when it makes you better, not bitter. And, and if you view whoever you're competing against as an obstacle to be defeated, as an opportunity, uh, for, as opposed to an opportunity for you to be made better, you will live life a very bitter person. You know why? Because you can't win them all you're gonna lose sometimes. Like I said earlier, it takes a lot of energy to stay on top and it takes even more to keep everybody else under you. Competition is great when you see it as a chance to grow, to get better, when you see the other person, the other thing you're competing against as an ally, but it's toxic when you see them as an obstacle. And here's the great news. An ally doesn't even have to know they're an ally to make you better. They can be the most toxic, competitive person in the world, but if you commit to experiencing them as an ally, they can turn into an instrument for your growth. I was talking to a friend who works here in the tech world, and I, I love living here in the Bay Area because we all get to talk to people who do these fascinating things. And, and this friend is creating something for the company he works for, and, and, and he has been creating this for a few years. I can't tell you what it is, but I know what it is. And I saw in the news that somebody else came out with something just like what he's making. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a rough day for him. 
And so I called him up and I said, hey, how you doing? I read about so-and-so doing this and that. Sounds like they beat you to market. And he said, oh, I'm fine. I'm great. I said, no, 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 really. You can be honest with me. And he said, look, someday there will be 10 versions of this thing that I'm creating. And everyone who makes one will just be helping the next person make theirs better. He gets it. The fight is not out there. It's in us. It's over. Whether people are obstacles to getting what we want or whether they are allies in helping grow us, make us better. Now, let's go next level with this. What about the person who really is against you? Your ex-wife, your ex-husband who hates your guts, who is doing everything to ruin your life, your former business partner who took more than their share and they ran away, they ghosted you, they're nowhere to be found. The person some of you are thinking of right now that is actively trying to make your life harder, who is indeed against you. How can I look at somebody who's not with me, who's truly against me as an ally that can be used for my growth and my learning? Okay, you ready? You can even look at that person and see them as an ally because of this. Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Have you heard this verse in Romans? Will you say this with me? Can we read it together? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, here's what I have always taken that to mean. If I have God on my, my side, and I do, and so do you, then who can beat me and God in this competition that we will win? Nobody can beat us. And I think it does mean that cosmically, spiritually, salvifically, eternally. But can I tell you what else it means? If God is for me, then the person who thinks that they are against me, the person who is even committed to being against me, they're not really against me. Because, because no matter what they do, no matter what obstacle they put in my way, no matter what challenge they put in front of me to slow me down, stop me, whatever, God will use it to grow me. If God is for me, you're against me doesn't work on me. You can't really be against me because with every choice that you make to stall me, God grows me and I get stronger. You, you know what the Bible says a few verses before this? That in all things, let's put it up, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God works for good in all things. Would you say all things with me? All things. Okay, last time I checked, people are things. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a thing. Okay, even difficult people are things. Turn to the most difficult person next to you and say, even you are a thing. Even people who are out to get me are things. In all things, including other people, God works for good, meaning God can take the person who might be against me and use them for good in my life. That's what that means. Man, you can lose this fight to the lie that other people are obstacles and they're impediments to you getting what you want, or you can show up every single day welcoming everyone and everything as an ally. What that means is the person on the other side of the table who is arguing with you is actually a catalyst for you learning about what you value or maybe even where you might be wrong. 
the person that's on your team at work who's not delivering on what they agreed to deliver on, and you are frustrated with them. Actually, now, knowing this, they offer you insight on your management skills. Or maybe, maybe on your stubbornness to not make a change in that position earlier. Every situation, rather than getting bitter and turning others into competitors, you can get curious and ultimately feel gratitude for what you now know, what you're now aware of, and how it's going to cause you to grow. Let me give you two quick questions that you can ask to help you out with this fight, okay? When you're running up against a person that you're starting to see as an obstacle, as an impediment, stop and ask, how is God using this person to tell me something tough that I need to hear about me? How's God using this person to tell me something kind of tough that I need to hear about me? That is a good question. How's God using them to tell me something? Give me feedback on me. You ask that, be honest with yourself, you will absolutely win this fight if you ask that question. Here's the second. In 20 years, what will I say I learned from this? Every single one of us has something that we went through long ago, right? That we look back on now and we say, I hated that. I would not want that again, but it taught me something. But you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for the 20-year future to ask that question. You can ask it now. In 20 years, what will I say I learned from this? This is the fight in you. The fight in you is not, will you make allies or enemies? Because whether somebody wants to see themselves as your enemy is not up to you. Whether somebody wants to act as your enemy, not up to you. This fight has nothing to do with what the other person chooses. It is all in you. Will you see other people as obstacles? Or will you see them as allies? You will be a better, healthier, happier, stronger you when you do. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. God, this morning, I am just thinking of the people who are here, the person listening right now who has got one or two or five people they feel are against them, who's just coming off a, a holiday season where it's felt like one conflict after another and and instead, God, they, they, they've been pleading to you, would you do something about this conflict? Would you, would you deliver me from this and these relationships? And, and God, I, I, I want to ask that you would deliver them from what they may need delivered from. But God, more than anything, would you speak to us about us? Would you tell that person, would you tell me what it is you would have me know? Would you use the conflict, the person who feels like an enemy, would you use them as an ally? Because God, we know when you are for us, no one can be against us. So grow us through these people we're thinking of right now. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.